It is in words. Not all words, not all speaking, but in some. Some words are infected. And it spreads out when the contaminated word is spoken. Oh, we are witnessing the emergence of a new arrangement for life and our language is its host. It could uh, have sprung spontaneously out of a uh, perception. If it found its way into language, it could leap into reality itself, changing everything. It may be boundless. It may be a god bug. Okay, Dr. Mendez, look, I don't even believe in UFOs, so I, I'm, I gotta stop you there with that god bug thing. Oh, really? Well, you know, that's very sensible because UFOs don't exist. But I assure you, there is a monster loose and it's bouncing through our language, frantically trying to keep its host alive. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. There's nothing to fear except God. Whatever that means to you. podcast exploring faith and fear what scares us and what saves us this is the fear of god hello and welcome to the intersection of faith and fear where we discuss each week what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the Fear of God podcast. We are so glad you're here for this episode and this last installment of phase one of 2020-2020. We hope you all have been enjoying this ghoulish stroll down memory lane of the macabre. Check out our precap episode from January for more info about this particular series, uh, where you, our listeners, have been voting on your favorite horror films from the last 20 years, and we cover one from each year. This phase concludes today with the War of the Worlds-inspired Pontypool. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And guys, he was here, um, but he, he got a little sheepish, and he was like, oh my gosh, I forgot, Nathan, to give you your Valentine's Day card. I was like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy times. Lots of things are easy to forget. That was in February, though. I wish you'd remembered it back then, but, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm sure... It'll be pretty cool, and he'll be back soon. Speaking of back, a few weeks ago, we featured Pod Bro and Fog Secretary of Restorative Justice in the Fog 2020 Presidential Cabinet, Blake Collier. Well, turns out he really likes Pontypool. So, guys, Blake is back. Back again. Everyone, tell your friends, Blake, welcome, buddy. It is so glad to have you back for a little more fun. Hello. <laughs> Hello. How's it going? Feel like I'm coming in from the the Great Plains of Texas again. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Okay. So, Blake, wherever you are currently uh, uh, coming broadcasting from, as you know, listeners can find us on Twitter. They can find us on Instagram, or they can join us in the Facebook group for lively discussions around 
horror and genre and Ernest P. Worrell-themed media books, films, and memes. Here at The Fear of God, we explore, we don't explain, except for right now, when I'm going to explain that you, dear listener, can listen to The Fear of God podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, anywhere you can find podcasts. While you're at it, guys, don those face masks and then go subscribe to us on your favorite platform. And if that happens to be iTunes, be so kind as to leave us a five-star rating or glowing review. You can also find us on the web at thefearofgodpodcast.com, where you'll find an episode archive and be able to purchase merchandise from the show. You can see fellow foggers in their fog swag, like t-shirts and mugs and cell phone cases and pillows and read! Hey, buddy! Welcome back to the show! Podcast. 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 Pod, podcast. No. Kill is kiss. Kiss is kill. Po- podcast. 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 Pod. Ponte. 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 Podcast. Pod. 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 Please move on. Ponte. Posh. Posh spice. Posh spice. Oh, posh spice. Scary spice. Papa Smurf. Yeah. Whoa. So, hi everybody. Oh my gosh. Reed Blake's back. It's good to see you, buddy. How are you doing? Man, it's, it feels like it's been a long time. It's been so long. It's and, been it won't, and it won't be that long before it happens again. No, no, it's true. It's a good point. That's a good point. Um, no, it's great to great to see you guys. I'm, I can't believe that we're already at the end of this little uh, phase of oh, 2020. I know. 2020. I I'm mean, glad you said that, Reed, because I almost forgot. You, yeah? I, I mentioned... Blake being our Secretary of Restorative Justice. Reed, you're my running mate this election oh, year. I, oh, did you I don't know if you heard. I did. I'm running out of news on this. This, this But happened. all of our initial competition has dropped out and thrown their support behind us. So, buddy, with any luck, we're going to win. We're going to win. That's, I, mean, I mean, listen. I'm, I don't want to say will, but, you know. Right, right. I'm not winning much these days. So this is the most hopeful thing I've got going for me is winning well, hey. the, uh, you know, that's, that's the... Uh, this is that's my favorite moment is when is well, when good. I hear you gloriously declare we won. It's, yeah. Yes, it's, 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 I, I guess that's how I sound. Yeah, <laughs> every time. Oh, uh, indeed. Well, what indeed. I read, you know, while you're glorying in our our hopeful and potential winning, why don't you, you know, as not just my running mate, but as <laughs> if he can brush off his spectacles for a moment, lackey the listicle, my occasionally listless list making lackey. Tell us about Hi, some everybody. lists. <laughs> <laughs> so, Good Lord. yes, what we have been doing, if you have not been keeping up to speed, which numbers indicate that you have definitely been keeping up to speed, um, we've been making our way through your top 10 favorite horror films of every year, starting at 2000. We are eventually going to go all the way up to 2020, which is going to be really weird. Straight given what to 2000, the top. Yes. <laughs> what 2020 has had to <laughs> offer for us. Um, but we are now finding ourselves at 2008, which is the concluding year of this phase. We're going to be doing this throughout the year, but taking breaks to do smaller series in between. So this right now is the final installment of 2020-2020 for this phase of uh, this material. We are going to be counting down your top 10 favorites as voted on by you on our website 
horror films of 2008. So uh, right now, unfortunately, I have nowhere to tell you to go to uh, cast your vote for anything because we are concluding this phase. But I'm very excited to dive into this list. And and, uh, Blake, as our uh, now recurring guest, you have the distinct honor of starting off this list with uh, the listener... Favorite uh, number ten, which <laughs> have would you fun. Do the oh. honors, please. <laughs> have fun. Ooh, okay. Well, your number ten for two thousand eight is the Midnight Meat Train by director Ryuhi Kitamura. That was, yes, that was, that was better than bad, I would have done. It's better than I would have done. No, no kidding. Have you it's guys seen than the last time? <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Have you guys seen Midnight Meat Train? Yes. Have you seen this film? I, no, but it sounds like a. Sounds like a country song or something. <laughs> yeah. Like Bradley the Midnight Meat Train to Georgia. Coming in the town Ooh. on a Midnight Meat Train. Sure, that too. <laughs> Bradley Cooper's um, in this? Bradley Cooper stars in yep. it, yeah. It was before he was like a bona fide A-lister. Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was long before he was like the super- We know he was on Alias, the TV show. I don't remember exactly when that fell, but that was- Really? My, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. It he might was, have- he was, he, was the, he was the unrequited- best friend interesting so this probably followed that but it predated like the hangover which is my biggest intersection for when he came Mm. to like you Mm -hmm. know sort of extreme popularity um but no that's interesting i did not know that he's on alias i've never seen that one but uh yeah midnight meat train is exactly what it sounds like um it's very gross and gory and and a midnight meat train that's that's what it is yeah um nathan how about you hit us with number nine no, 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 no. I'm going to do you a favor. I was going to say. <laughs> I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to take number nine. I'm going to take one for the team, and I'm going to let you give number eight because you okay. deserve to give number eight. Um, Thank you. So uh, number nine on the list is directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Like we said with Lady in the Water, there's probably no way this winds up in a favorite horror film except on a Fear of God list. Uh, it's one that we don't even care for very much. It's The <laughs> Happening. Uh, <laughs> the Happening made it to your number nine. I have to think that this is one of, and maybe I'm wrong, but I have to think that this is one of those votes of people just selecting something they knew and had seen. <laughs> I have I, to yeah. think. I actually kind of like it. <laughs> Shut up. In, 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 in a weird, it's been a good, in a weird sort of way. It's been a good way, run, yes, Blake. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is it too early to cancel I, I, next week's episode? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, uh, But, you know, it's funny because you know who else, like, loved this film, gave it, like, three and a half stars? It was freaking Roger Ebert. Roger oh, Ebert loved that. That's hell. hilarious. Thought it was like this glorious celebration of B-movie fodder in like a high production value. I would, it was basically like I would a high production yeah. B-movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So, but no. I, I, I don't want to spend the life required to rewatch it, but there's <laughs> yeah. a world where I could envision if you dial in on that frequency that you yeah. might find some enjoyment in it. Sure, sure. I can understand that. And I will but that's say a lot of ifs. That is a yeah. lot of ifs. <laughs> I don't care for the film. I don't think the film works. I don't like it. I will say that it is among the height at some of M. Night Shyamalan's visual prowess. There are some alarming visuals in it that are very, very effective. Like that shot of the bodies just falling off the building. Yeah. And, and uh, there's a couple of sequences that you just look at the scene and you're just like, that's a great shot. Um, unfortunately, it's couched in a film that is not... Uh, got a very strong script. It's got some weak performances. Um, so it's just, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't do much for me. But, but uh, yeah. Well, cheese Happening. and crackers, Reed. Give it a break. <laughs> <laughs> just eat a hot dog. Um, okay, so this... <laughs> Nathan, take take away number eight. Well, Reed, number eight on You're the welcome, by the way. 
top 10 of 2008 horror films as voted on by Fear of God listeners. This one's for you, Ned. It is The X-Files, I Want to Believe, directed by Chris Carter. Now, yes, it is. This is a decent movie. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think I liked it better um, than Fight the Future. Honestly. Yeah, I was going to say. Now, yeah, I have a special place in my heart for Fight the Future just because of when I saw it and kind of the intersection of life and media and all that sort of stuff. But makes um, I do think this is a a far more accessible film and is kind of what yeah. the film the film parentheses series always should have been like just exploded monster of the week type stuff. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I haven't watched it in quite a long time, but it's good. It's competent. Yeah. I like it. Blake, you seen it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan. I, I like you. I, I think I like it better than fight the future. And it's mainly because of Billy Connolly. Mm. Oh um, yeah. 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 His, his role is, is great. Yeah. Yeah. He's great in it. Yeah, I really uh it it has been some time since I ironically I own this film, but it has been some time <laughs> since I've revisited it. Its appearance on this list actively made me be like, and I might watch that because it yeah. has been a long time since I've seen that and I, and I remember really enjoying it. So I'm I I might I might check that out. Um Blake, hit us with number 7. Number 7 is a little uh this is more obscure. I'm I'm kind of impressed with this one. Uh Splinter directed by Toby Wilkins. I I remember seeing this Randomly. This is the, this is the uh, Ninja Turtle spinoff, right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it's... Sweet. Sure. <laughs> yeah. it's like Ninja uh, Master this, Rat. This is like a weird little one-off uh, indie film that came out. Yeah. yeah. And and I remember seeing it. I, I rented the movie uh, at the at the video store. Do you do y'all remember those? No. Uh, <laughs> Fond <laughs> fondly. Yeah. And and I I was like, oh, this this looks kind of odd and interesting. And I was kind of into the like exploration of film at that time. That was I at, at the height of really digging into cinema, uh, sure. especially horror. And so I I checked it out. And I by the time I was done, I was like, I had no idea what to do with this. Uh, but <laughs> but I enjoyed the experience. But I never could figure out how I felt about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remember it. It came out. Uh, not too long after, and I saw them both in close proximity, Splinter and Slither, which, yeah. you know, uh, appeared on a previous 2020-2020 list, but I constantly get the two of them kind of mixed up mm-hmm. in in my thought processes because I saw them probably within a few days of each other. Slither was released much earlier, but I saw them uh, in proximity. But I remember liking them both, and I remember Splinter had this... this uh, sort of darker sheen to the tone of the film and uh, the the body horror effects were really alarming yeah. in this one uh, to a degree that I think most independent films can't quite achieve. They were very <laughs> inventive and creative with it. So this is another one that I, yes, I was, I was pretty impressed to find it on this list. Um, number six on this is a film that I was also happy to see here. Um, it is an understated little piece that recently completely taking me by surprise has made it on a lot of kind of undiscovered gems list that I see bouncing around the internet from time to time. It's Lake Mungo written and directed by Joel Anderson. And it's a, a, one of those fake documentaries. It's not trying to be funny, but it's a, it's a documentary uh, presenting a fictional story. And I remember, I really wish that I could recall more substantive specific details about it because I remember being very impressed when I saw it with just the general frights of the film. I remember being pretty alarmed by it. It's pretty scary. Um, And I remember it having this surprising amount of heart and depth uh, underneath the surface of what it was trying to tell, you know, as we've uh, pondered on in different ways. 
it's one of those films that just kind of deals with grief and with tragedy, but in a horror context. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, so much of the 2008 list was a sequence of like, ooh, it's been a long time since I've seen that. I want to see that again. So, uh, so Lake Mungo is right up there with that. Blake, uh, Nathan, have either of you seen nope. this film? This is the only movie on the list I haven't seen. Okay. Nope. I, with only my memory of the experience of it to go on, not specifics, uh, I remember that I would recommend it. And, and it has also, as I said, shown up on several lists of like, hey, undiscovered gems you should give some attention to. So with that additional validation, uh, I'd recommend people checking it out. Uh, Nathan, hit us with number five. Number five is the man, the myth, the legend, Guillermo del Toro, Toro, Toro. <laughs> writer and director of Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, which I saw in the theater and remember liking. And that's yeah. it. Blake, have you seen this? Yep. I, yeah. I, I adored it. I actually I liked it, it better great. than the first one. I uh, liked it better yeah, than yeah, the first yeah, one, too. So. And I'm fond of the first one. Mm-hmm. We covered the first one. But yeah. I think as a film and as an experience, it's better. The, the monsters are more inventive. Mm. They're more varied. Uh, the story is very compelling. Uh, it's, it's, it's really very strong. Mm-hmm. Honestly, as weird as this sounds, if people were to say, like, hey, which of the three Hellboy stuff out there should I see? Honestly, the one I would pivot them more towards is Hellboy yep. 2, The Golden Army. I'm like, yep. if you're only going to watch one, watch that one because it's the most satisfying overall, I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I like it quite a bit. Um, Blake, hit us up with number four. So number four is actually, of the ones I've seen on this list, the one I've seen the most recently for the first time. Uh, Eden Lake, written and directed by James Watkins, which is, this is Michael Fassbender, and her, yes, I, it is. I can never remember her name, but she's in Calvary. Uh, yes. Uh, oh, <laughs> gosh. I feel so remiss that yeah, I've forgotten yeah, her name. But she's here, in Calvary and in Flight. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. A wonderful actor, and I feel yeah. really bad that I yeah, can't I recall her I name. I'm going to look this up so we can rectify that. But I will say that, like, while I'm looking this up, uh, Eden Lake is a heavy film I mean, this, is, this is not a film that you enter into lightly this is a film that will assault you and and make you feel bad for feeling bad about it like it is a brutal kelly riley kelly, yeah, riley. kelly riley that's it thank yeah, you okay. thank you very much yes uh i feel uh, again huge apologies because i she's really great she's great yeah, in she this. Is. she's great in flight she's great in calvary i really like her every time i see her in something um eden lake is one of those movies that without saying why or what happens, that is one of those endings that I was like, okay, this really challenges whether I should have watched this film. (laughs) Like, this is one of those things, like, the ending is part of the point, but I was like, I walk away with such a... As in, because it pissed you off or because it's so harrowing? It is both. Oh. Like, Mm -hmm. the, the ending is infuriating. Yeah. And is devastating and is very unnerving. And is one of those, I mean, like, it is akin to the ending of The Mist, but in a way, after what you've seen, that leaves you more devastated. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty brutal. It's pretty rough. Um, so, yeah. Eden Lake. Well, between Eden Lake and Lake Mungo, I've got my summer travel plans. You sure do. Up. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like some fun. Um, <laughs> so, okay. So, number three on your list is our subject film for this week. So we'll be talking in much more depth in the next few moments uh, about this one, but it directed by Bruce McDonald, uh, one of those films that Canadians, uh, you know, shout out to our 
recurring guest Vera Gowdy. Canadians love to mention, like in Canadian horror, it's like Pontypool. That's yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like we love Pontypool and Black Christmas, well, and like we have all this, all these Canadian gems. Well, we love we Canada. <laughs> <laughs> we sure do. Um, so yes, it is Pontypool, directed by Bruce McDonald. Again, we are going to be revisiting this in extreme depth in a few moments. So um, Nathan, hit us with number two. Yes, number two. I have seen. Uh, that is The Strangers, written and directed by Brian Bertino, covered on Fear of God episode 97. Uh, a just hell of a film. Yeah. Yeah. It's an all-timer yeah. film. I, I was really blown away when I saw this. Yeah. It's a really excellent film. And listeners, if for some reason you have not, for whatever reason, gone back and checked out our episode on The Strangers, I'll make a soft recommendation that you do so because purely by coincidence... I had seen recently the Mr. Rogers film, uh, uh, Who Wants to Be or what? A million? Uh, won't, you be won't you be my neighbor? Won't you be my neighbor? Yeah. Oh my God. Who wants to be my neighbor? I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> such I a don't know. Who? I know. Like, I don't know who that is. Um, this this the, took a weird turn. It did. Really did. Uh, the documentary film, not the ten, not the uh, Tom Hanks film. The documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor? I had seen that in proximity to our conversation about the strangers, and I'm very proud of that episode. So, um, so yeah, by all means, go back and check that out, Blake. As you typically do when you're guesting on this show, you have the honor of revealing the number one favorite horror film of 2008. Uh, this this film, number one, uh, has given me a chance to rectify uh, years of Reed saying that there was an American version that was better than this one. Hey, now. Uh, <laughs> that Listen. is Let the Right One End, directed by Thomas Alfredson, or it might be Tomah. I don't know. I think Tomah, probably. Tomah, yeah. So... He, uh, yeah, this, once again, I, I saw this probably 2010, 11, 12, somewhere around there, and was just blown away. Uh, it was mm. the first, van like, for a long time, I just couldn't get into vampire films, and this was the first one that kind of brought me back into the fold of really loving the idea of what vampires can, can be. Uh, do you, to, your, so, to your comment, do you dislike Let Me In, or just... Um, I, I actually need to see it again. When I saw it, I had just it was fresh off of seeing this sure. one, and and I was very negative towards it at the time. But I'm far enough away from this one uh, that that I need to rewatch it and give it a fair shot. Well, so. if you would like, just so you know, Fear of God episode twenty two, we covered. Yes, <laughs> let me in by oh, that's I Matt know. Reeves, isn't it? Yeah, he's never he's never forgiven us for that. It was the companion <laughs> film to Dracula as part of the Universal Monster <laughs> series. Yeah, but oh. uh, but did Matt never... Reeves direct that? Oh yes, Matt Reeves directed yeah, Matt Reeves. it. Um, nice. And uh, and I will say that like to be clear, and I think I tried to specify this on the episode, but not as substantially as I'm about to now. So I, it is true. I do prefer Matt Reeves' Let Me In to uh, Thomas Alfredson's Let the Right One In, but it is incredibly marginal because if I prefer the let me in version as like a nine and a half, let the right one in is like easily a 9.3 or 9.4. Like my preference for it is very marginal. They're both in my mind, outstanding films. Mm -hmm. Let the right one in is a very powerful film, very affecting. Um, And it has been some years since I've seen this version of it. And I've I've also read the novel, which is different in a lot of ways, and yes, it's very it is. <laughs> uh, it, it's also interesting in its own right. This is just any way you encounter this story, 
it's going to be interesting. It's going to be worth your time. <laughs> so whether that's the American remake, whether that's the Swedish original, whether that's the novel, this is a powerful and affecting story and is worth your time in whatever medium you can find it in. So yeah, I, I highly recommend it as well. And it's your number one favorite horror film of 2008, listeners. So um, so before we move on into our discussion of Pontypool, Nathan, for one last time in this phase, would you do us the honor of pulling up the top five grossing box office uh, worldwide global box Gladly, office Reed. for uh, 2008. My one big comment, and Blake, uh, look over the list and see if you can have any, any observations about its uh, sort of substance. What I love about this is this seems to be a slight rise of the auteur, as it were. Mm-hmm. There's there's several films on here that are written and directed by the same person. I mean, yes, we had our comments about The Happening, written and directed by Shyamalan, but then you also have Lake Mungo, which was written and direct. It was a writer-director. Hellboy 2, writer-director. Eden Lake, writer-director. The Strangers, writer-director. Mm-hmm. Um, even some of the other films on here, like Pontypool and Splinter, um, independent darlings that made big waves. The Strangers uh, is like a big impacting film, but it was a very sort of understated film. So I love how most of this list, perhaps with the exception of Hellboy 2, and X-Files, uh, and then probably The Happening because of Shyamalan's profile. Those are probably the only three like major motion pictures. Everything yes. else was independent-based, and uh, and that really delights me. I like that about this particular wave uh, this year. What what else could you say, Blake? Well, I mean, so of course I haven't seen Lake, Lake Mungo, but you're starting to see like a, a, a real attention to detail in the technique um, ah, yes. And, and not yes. so much in the scares. Uh, mm. you're, you're actually looking at characterization, uh, improvement on characterization. You're looking at improvement Absolutely. on... Uh, you're starting to get, like, especially with Splinter, you're starting to see some really talented um, special effects being oh, utilized. And in yeah. a way that you still don't see all that often today. No, um, that's true. And so... Like there's, there's just a lot of uniqueness that this, in my opinion, this is probably one of the strongest lists that y'all have had so far. It's um, really good. Yeah. yeah. That most of so, these films are really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, and, and there's a lot of inventiveness. I mean, yes. I'll share, I'll, I'll save my thoughts on Pontypool for that, but there's so many like inventive stories in this. Mm-hmm. Let the Right One In is an unconventional vampire tale. Yes. Uh, the Strangers is a, is a home invasion story, but a, but so much deeper and more than that. Mm-hmm. And uh, Eden Lake, Lake Mungo, Splinter, all very inventive concepts and yeah. unique experiences. So, yeah, this is a really strong list. I'm very, very happy with this. Um, Nathan, how about our global box office? How about it, Reed? Thank you. <laughs> I am your eye in the sky here. At Fear in the Sunshine Chopper. Yes, that's it. Um... So one, uh, not in the top five, but I do want to shout out numbers eight and nine here. Number nine is Wally. So we're looking now at the oh, 2008 nice. worldwide box office. Number nine is Wally. That is one of the last films my wife and I saw before our first child was born. Uh, so in the theater, and my wife fell asleep because she was very pregnant. Um, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> number eight is the Repulsor Blast heard around the galaxy and that's iron man the first iron man oh, film nice. wow. at number eight which is wild to consider how that franchise yeah. has climbed no um so looking at number five which is many at least to me not very fun entries here but number five is mama mia here i go again <laughs> oh yeah meryl streep and everybody else 
Um, I, I've got a soft yeah. spot in my heart for Mamma Mia. Do I mean, you? it's it is what it is, but it's uh, but my wife and I have seen that, and and uh, she's a big fan of. Meryl Streep, and she's a big, well, most of the actors and a fan of uh, that music and everything, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a fun film. It's really genuinely very fun film. I and to and to be fair, that actually, though it, I know it sounded that way, that wasn't me knocking it, I actually haven't seen it. Um, just a, a odd assortment here at the top. So there's sure, that. Sure. Uh, number four, which I also haven't seen, is Hancock, the Will Smith pseudo-superhero. Uh, I, I kinda actually kind of like Bird. that movie. Really? Really? It's, yeah, I kind of do. I, it's that was, that was, that was Reed's, really? <laughs> That was, no, no, no. that was the uh, hmm. Can I pull? I the don't remember right disliking it, but I remember it not having a major impact on me. I, it's kind I, of I don't... It, it's kind of the shaggy dog of of oh. like like like. It's it, it's enjoyable see, for what it is, but see the film that Blake Collier says is a shaggy dog of <laughs> kind of like the shaggy dog. <laughs> oh man! Wow. All right, number three is the Jack Black starring Kung Fu Panda, which is it's pretty decent. It's fun. Yeah, it's fine. Um, yeah, you know these these movies you never knew unless you just pay attention <laughs> to this stuff are like number three grossing for the year. Right. Um, speaking of movies that just don't feel like they earned the place here, it is number two, two thousand eight worldwide box office is Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Still haven't seen yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> it didn't. I tell you, it didn't earn its place. I tell you what earned its place was the freaking Indiana Jones original trilogy. That's what earned that right. place, the number two <laughs> yeah. box office right there, because that film does not deserve it. <laughs> but And yeah. the number one film for 2008 worldwide box office is The Dark Knight. Breaking oh, yes. One okay. billion. So listen to this. I want to do one little interlude real quick here. So this is the kind of stuff we would say for about, I don't know, eight, nine months from now. But um, on my way to do this, I didn't look up that top five before I just said them all out. But what I did go and think is, I wonder what in this year, 2020, <laughs> is going to be the big <laughs> hits, right? Like, Oh, boy. What are, yeah. what are, and I'll just do the top two just for kicks here. But I'm paying less attention to the films themselves as much as to the numbers and know that we are recording April 23rd movie theaters are not open. Even when movie theaters do open, are people going to go to them in in mass at all? Who knows? It's going to be a down year for a lot of things, uh, movies particularly. Uh, But number two for the year is Sonic the Hedgehog. And number one, um, which I've actually heard is pretty fun and good is the new bad boys film. But think about, think about this y'all. Yeah, think about this. So, uh, last year's number one grocer, who can guess? Last year's number one grocer? Easy. Oh, yeah. gosh. Uh, it Was it Avengers Endgame? It was Avengers Endgame. Yeah. Avengers yeah. Endgame yeah. made $2.8 billion. <laughs> Listen to this. Bad Boys for Life, which in an insane world, stands a chance of being the top grocer for the year, right? There's a world where oh, that's boy. feasible. Oh, made four hundred and nineteen million dollars. No way! Oh my god! That is a staggering difference. That's now, no kidding. You know, which hopefully is, the latter part of the year. Because hmm? Bad Boys for Life is actually the best entry in the whole franchise. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard it. I've, <laughs> I've heard it's a lot of fun. It, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I've heard it. I've heard you are not the first person to say that, yeah. Blake. Like fans of that franchise have been like, "This is this is the one." Like they yeah. really landed. Uh, on a, a strong presentation of the formula, and they tossed uh, out all yeah. the bad of the other two and put and yeah. kept all the good. <laughs> oh, that's great, <laughs> Mike Lowry. I, there's a world Come where on. I would see that. So what? I said Mike Lowry. 
anyway, so that's just a fun little. Wow. Uh, and by fun, I mean tragic. A <laughs> little picture yeah, of no the Ooh. worldwide box office of the last few years. No so kidding. here we are. All right, so that uh, that puts another installment, uh, our our last for at least a few weeks, uh, installment of. 2020-2020 in the books, and now we are about to enter into, for this final phase conversation, uh, again, the end of phase one, not the end of the series, um, we're going to dive into Pontypool. This is, my opening sort of shot across the bow is, this is, regardless of what I say, positive or I don't know that I'll have much negative to say about this film, but regardless of what I'll say, this is the kind of thing that I absolutely love because yeah. it is completely inventive. It is taking a formula of the traditional sort of zombie trope film, completely turning it on its head, even to the idea of the concept of infection and how infection is spread um, in some tremendously interesting ways. And I just love when films can get extremely creative in their concept. This is not a big, you know, box office smash, special effects ridden, you know, extravaganza. This is just a simple story, very effectively told, rooted in character, rooted in circumstance, and it's the kind of thing that I just absolutely love. Um, Nathan, was your had you heard of this film? Did you know anything about it before going into it? I knew nothing and intentionally decided to stay that way uh, before going into it. So no, this, yeah, this is my first uh, time. I, I had never heard of it. I knew nothing about it. You know, you, you lob me these titles sometimes like <laughs> WTF, Riri, what, what are we talking about here? Um, so I did not go watch a trailer. Um, I did not look at anything like, all right, here we go. And in fact, our companion piece, uh, so we were, you know, listeners at this point, you probably know this, we record two episodes at a time. Um, the other episode we were recording was for the three-hour director's cut of Dr. Sleep, alert, <laughs> which is for next week. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm gonna, you know, just just gorge on this Dr. Sleep director's cut, and this Pontypool thing can be a bit of a throwaway, right? Like, like um, <laughs> Land, House of a Thousand Corpses or whatever. You know, it's like, ah, it's filler. <laughs> Y'all, <laughs> I, love I got, and this movie is brief, which I'm grateful it for. It is. That, yeah. That's part of its charm. Um, probably about the 40 minute mark, I was like, oh my God, I'm stressed out. Uh, I, I don't know if y'all have this sometimes, Read you're, you're probably have it less than perhaps Blake, just knowing your history with the genre, but like, I have gotten to that place where I've let my guard down a little bit because I'm like, oh, three years of horror. I'm good. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, House of a Thousand <laughs> yeah. Corpses. This is stupid. You know, yeah. like, ah, oh, that's not sure, scary sure. at all. Oh, look at Dr. Satan. That's not scary. You know, like you just, <laughs> your your guard is down. And yes. so, and and literally, before watching this movie, not as, in, as part of watching this movie, but just in my life previous to watching this movie in the last week or so, I was like, man. You know, I kind of missed the feeling of being scared of something. Like that's kind of fun. Wow! I yeah. queued this up. I was like, "Oh my god, I am so stressed out." <laughs> I texted Reed, Blake, "You'll love this." And <laughs> listeners, the reason Blake is on is one, we just appreciate him, and he's a good conversationalist. But also, he has a great affection for this film and had written some about it. And we're like, "Okay, fine, come back." Well, yeah. <laughs> Blake, you'll love this. So, I I was worried about going to bed after this movie. Like, <laughs> wow. 
like at the hour mark now i for me personally i think the movie plateaus a little bit on the the scare the Mm -hmm. scare part which is totally fine i needed it like i but at like the 50 minute ish mark i was like man my wife's asleep. Everybody in my house is asleep. I got my earphones on. I'm texting Reed, but he can't yeah. cuddle with me. You know, like <laughs> I am worried about going to bed. Uh, so yeah, it, it really did a number. I mean, I thoroughly, thoroughly wow. enjoyed it. I'm, what, um, I'm impressed. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, Blake, tell us a little bit. So like to be perfectly honest with you, go, I didn't want to read your piece before our uh-huh. conversation yeah. just for the sake of freshness, but you know, yeah. like, what was your experience that prompted you to have such enthusiasm about it? So, so it wasn't really like with, with a lot of films that I kind of latch onto. It's, it's never the first or second time I view it. It's never in the moment that I kind of fall in love with it. It's sure. It's on further reflection down the road. Uh, when events in my life or, or reflections on my past or, you know, elements like that kind of bring these certain films into into view and they bring them to mind so often and i kind of i kind of find uh, a way to deal with aspects of what's going on in my life through the the narratives of those films and so um yeah i in the moment like i just i I enjoyed it for just being a, a a fun little flick that really is absurd but also very fun and 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 kind of mind bending in a lot of ways. Um, and so I, I just, I think I just rented on iTunes one night, uh, thinking, Oh, you know, it's, it's something to watch and, and, and let's give it a go. And I watched it and I was like, what the hell did I just watch? So yeah, that's, <laughs> um, that's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, but, um, so yeah, I, it wasn't until probably, you know, I, I probably saw this, uh, maybe 2010, 2011, uh, once again, uh, a few years after it came out. And it wasn't until probably uh, 2013 when my dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's that um, going through that process with him and, mm. and seeing the breakdown of wow. his, not only his mind, but his body and his language right, right. Uh, yeah. shifted. This movie was the first thing that came to my mind as a, as a way to kind of grasp what mm. he was going through um yeah. this and take shelter both um wow. yeah. which i'll both know how I, my feelings about take shelter so oh absolutely. Um, absolutely it's and so those two movies were were foundational and, and kind of allowing me to re-envision who my dad was um mm. and and be be able to be in his in the space with him um wow. That's yeah. to find empathy and so um, yeah, that's a lot of it. A lot of that piece is, is the piece I wrote about this back in uh, like 2013, 2014. I don't remember. Um, Blake, will you do us the favor in that context of yeah. briefly summarizing the film so that it kind of makes a little more sense yeah, and then we so, can yeah, pivot yeah, into absolutely. pivot yeah, into actual sure. technical stuff. So basically what we, what we enter into is we enter into this radio studio in the small town of Pontypool, Canada. Uh, it's snowing. That's pretty much a blizzard. Uh, Grant Mazzy, the their shock DJ, uh, played by Stephen McCaddy, who I have met. Oh, that's my nice? that's my one. Oh, he's super super kind, super. Quiet, seems like he would be. Yeah, super seems kind. like he would yeah. be pretty cool. Yeah, you, you'd be surprised how quiet he is. He's he's the, he's a man of few words, but yeah. 
Um, Grant Mazzy shows up for work and, and you get the sense that he's kind of on the tail end of his career as a, as a shock jock. He's basically got this small role in a, in a small town radio studio. It's like he's been through some trouble, uh, and he's kind of fallen from the heights. And it's your typical morning show that you hear on any radio station pretty much in any city. Um, you know, you get the, you get the helicopter guy who's looking at traffic. You get all this stuff. And, right, right. And you, you, you hear everything that's going on outside through the ears of these people calling in. And as the movie goes on, you start to see that something is starting to go amiss outside. And you don't know what it is. People are starting to repeat themselves or not make sense. And, yeah. and, and their sentences are being screwed up um, and twisted. And then as the movie goes on, it becomes more and more apparent and that that there's an infection going on and mm. as you find out this infection is transferred through uh not only language but meaning <laughs> yeah and yeah. and 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 this is it's it really to say much more than that is to really give away a lot if you can give away anything in this film because uh, it's <laughs> it's so it's so kind of mind-bending um but the guy who wrote it is actually the author of the book it was based on, uh, yeah, the, the screenplay, yeah. Tony Burgess. And I actually read the book after I saw the movie, a couple of years after I saw the movie, and it is enraging. It's an enraging wow. read just because really? it's hard to follow his narrative because oh. he's trying to do what he's what the point of the book is. I thought you were talking about my co-host real quick. Oh, yeah. Enraging yeah, read, yeah. yeah. yeah enraging wow. Read. <laughs> that was actually my nickname in uh, fourth grade, isn't it? Actually, that's also... No, no, just kidding. Uh, yeah, no, because what he's doing is he's basically trying to formalize the narrative of the, of the story. He's trying oh. to confuse the narrative as he's writing it uh, because this is a guy who got his degree in semiotics. Like, he had just oh, gotten wow. done getting his uh, linguistics degree and, huh. and this idea of meaning and language and, and how we form meaning through words and those connections that we make with other people and how that is so important and key to, to connection. Wow. And he had just gotten done getting this degree and he wrote this novel. And it, and he wow. still, he doesn't even like the novel now. Like, huh. he's, he's like, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's, it's okay. Wow. But Is it called um, Pontypool? A Pontypool's changes everything. That's mm, that's, that's what animal. it's called. Yeah, and it's it is animal. maddening. Like it is just. If well, you what's, can get so, a grasp what's so what's so interesting about that yeah. is like I'm so, I, you know, stuff like this is hard to execute in our mm -hmm. information soaked age. But I'm so thankful I didn't know any of this before yes. watching it because mm, yeah. You know, even if you were to ask me right now, like, is a scary movie? I don't even know that it's that scary of a movie, but it's so well crafted and it's so mm -hmm. intimate for so long that it's mm -hmm. just super stressful. And and I think for me personally, on paper, the concept is a little dumb, right? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. it's a little, mm -hmm. it's a little like elementary, which is fine. Mm -hmm. that, that's actually less criticism than it is just kind of like oh well, i don't know what is a movie about yeah. word <laughs> you know, like, yeah. so I, i'm really grateful to have shielded myself from some of that information because i do think it makes for a more rewarding especially first time watching yes very much so yeah and i think part of the stress comes from and this was such a wise decision on the filmmaker's part is so much of it well 
really almost all of it is contained in that radio station. Mm -hmm. So what's happening on the outside world, you're experiencing it the same way they are, which is through this audible conversation or this, or this audio feed that's coming through. Now, I don't know if you heard this or knew this in your preliminary research, but originally it was conceived as a very, very experimental film. The, Opening shot. Yeah, I did hear that. Yeah, isn't this crazy? The opening shot where you see the sound wave as Stephen McHattie is talking and the sound wave is just sort of reacting to his vocal intonations. Mm -hmm. That was going to be the 90 minute film. Was that was going to be the only visual? Oh, wow. Was was that sound wave as you're hearing everything else go on? Um, I do think. An experience like that would have been interesting to see, but I but I wonder if it would have limited its exposure and ultimately limited it, mm-hmm. its effectiveness. Um, but that was the way it was originally conceived, and it was also crafted as a one-hour BBC radio drama, which That's I do so think. Good. Yeah, so I good. I haven't heard it. You so yeah. you've gotten the chance yeah. to hear the radio. Uh-huh. Oh man, so I would good. love to hear it. I would love to hear it because I do because Nathan mentioned it in passing in the opening that this was inspired in large part by the now infamous War of the Worlds broadcast mm-hmm. that uh, Orson Welles had done, I believe, in the 40s, which when it aired, uh, because it was done very sort of real-world-esque with music and uh, uh, pieces of concert playing, and then a newscaster would break in and say, there are tripods moving towards the city, mm-hmm. you know, like all this stuff. And so people got genuinely freaked out. So it was in this spirit and in that vein, I think this would work very, very effective. There was even a couple of times, because I'd seen it before, there was a couple of times where as I was watching it, only for a moment, I mean, I'm not ridiculous about it, but for a moment, I just kind of closed my eyes, like especially in the scenes where he's like in the broadcast and was trying to picture like, okay, what would this have been like if it was just the audio? Mm -hmm. And there's a couple of things where the sound design on this is so great and so effective. Stephen McHattie's voice is so... Yes, deep and rich and it's like man i bet it would be a really effective experience but see what's funny be- what's funny about you saying that is like i was so and i actually agree with all you're saying and i think why this film kind of works on a number of levels is i also as weird as it sounds loved the workplace drama of it in other words mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah. in the first five or seven minutes i was like after i joined poop club with the woman slapping the window at the, at the <laughs> oh blizzard. And I was like, man, that was rough. Um, uh, but once that happened and, you know, life moved on, um, just those first five or seven minutes of them prepping for the show. And it's this real intimate yeah. kind of the, the engineering yeah. aspect. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. It's kind of just like settling in. And then this steady thrum of dread that starts to 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 escalate um yeah so so i really love that aspect of it which is and again there are movies like this the benefit i had here was not knowing anything about it so i didn't know it was literally all going to take place in the studio and and so the longer sure, that goes sure. the more you're like oh man i'm really digging the structure of this yeah. yeah, it's really fantastic. I have just two little uh, trivial bits to point out, and then we can keep going with some more likes-dislikes. Um, so uh, just as a point of I, I like nice reference, Stephen McHattie and Lisa Houle, who uh, play Grant and Sydney, are married in real life, which I thought mm-hmm. that was pretty that was pretty cool. Um, but one of my 
favorite things, and I, I had completely forgotten it if I ever knew it, but I thought this was so great, and I have to believe it's intentional, is as the title of the film is coming into focus, and Typer. it comes into focus, yes, it comes into focus with like one letter at a time being revealed, and then suddenly you see, before the entire title Pontypool is played out, the center of it comes into focus first, and that's typo, the word typo, which given the context of the concept and of the film itself and its theme i thought that was brilliant i thought that was that just was really really wonderful yeah. um so yeah there's there's so blake much. did you discover in your you know digesting all this is pontypool a real place yes i believe it is actually okay. um, I think it is. yeah it's, yeah. it's a, like a super small town though sure um, i don't well, I just a, i was just course, thinking about the the typo vera aspect no yeah <laughs> vera <laughs> Chime in. Yes. Um, so there's, Call in there's, to the show right now, Barry. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> not by helicopter, though. Please, not by helicopter. <laughs> yeah, um, but, uh, yeah, there's, I mean, there's just a, there's a ton to like. I'm not going to, this is not a dislike at all uh, because I think it's hilarious. It's just the only thing that kind of feels weird and out of place is the freaking appearance of Lawrence and the Arabians, <laughs> which I'm like, what? And, I mean, like I said, it's not a dislike because... I know radios do those gimmicky sort of things to have in there, but it's the only thing in the scheme of it all that kind of feels asynchronous to the rest of what they're yeah. doing. Um, but uh, but it's still, like I said, it's not a dislike because well, I don't really have a dislike the for it. The dad of that troop or the elder one, he's the actual novelist, I believe. Uh, or... You're correct that the novelist is present, but he's the guy that plays Lawrence, not the yes. elder of it. It's the one yeah. who was singing. Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh, okay. Yes, okay. that's the that's the right. But you're right. But he's that, in there. That's yeah, totally, he's in yeah, there. He's in there. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, that's uh, his cameo. See, I was <laughs> I was almost I was almost right. <laughs> no, you were right in a way. You were a little right. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't. To be honest with you, this is one we don't have to do this. We're kind of in likes dislikes right now. But I so badly just want to start talking about what this film's about. Um, that that if you guys are okay, like we can we can mention scares. There's mm. sure a lot of them. Uh, there's a lot of things to like. Uh, but I'm just so fascinated by the concept of this of this piece. Um, and and Nathan knows like we we let the listeners vote on what the material is. So where possible, we you know try to choose the highest rated piece that um the listeners have voted on that we haven't already covered. Now, in this particular instance, Nathan and I had even had a conversation beforehand where I was looking at the list, and yes, 2008 is a really great list, but I was pretty much beforehand, I was like, I'm really going to fight for us to talk about this movie, like regardless of where it places, because it is so unique and interesting. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, did, I find the concept of... In f- I, I can't remember, Blake, forgive me, I can't remember if you specifically hammered in hard on this part, but that... Basically, the way this virus is spreading is by people using words that are infected. And the moment a word is heard does not automatically produce infection. It is when an infected word is heard and understood, which as a concept is really, that's Mm -hmm. high-minded in terms of like, you're really grasping it a lot to try to get listener Mm -hmm. or uh, viewers to go along with you on, on that train. But I think the on the midnight meat train. On the midnight meat train. (laughs) Well, let me throw it. Let me throw it there because, um, there's so much I enjoy about this movie, but 
the logistics of how it works got a little confusing by the end. I, I was sure, I was sure. kind of struggling to track what was going on um, other mm-hmm. than just the linguistic aspect of it, which is pretty evident. But like to your point, just then read. Now, read. how many times have you seen this? Is this second or more? This is only my second time seeing yeah. it, yeah. yeah. I had um, strong memory of it going into the second viewing, but yeah, this was only my second time. Like to, you, to hear you state that comment about it's not just the hearing of an infected word, but the but the comprehension of it as well. I'm, I know that on a certain level that's conveyed, but it it got a little confusing by the end. Um, to yeah, me. yeah, especially especially by the end, whenever they're repeat, they're trying to change the meaning of the words at the. Yes. They're trying to avoid infection by changing the meaning of the infected words. Yes. So kiss, yes. kiss is kill. Right. Kiss is yes. kill. Kiss is kill. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and so, and it, what's interesting about that is that it's like that's one thing that I appreciated this time that the first time through kind of frustrated me. Yeah. Um, and Nathan, I don't know if this was comparable to your experience or not, but she gets hung up on the infected word kill. She right. gets hung up on it. So she catches it. And when she catches it, it begins to do its infected work on her. Right. But he can say it without being infected. And he clearly understands what the word kill means. He can just say it. And part of what I appreciated this time around as we are all assessing the navigation of a global pandemic, which is viral in nature, a big point of conversation that has come up in a lot of my conversations recently is this. We're right now suffering under the COVID-19, the, the global pandemic, and it is what's called a novel virus, which means they don't understand fully how it works and they don't know everything about every piece of it. They've learned a lot, particularly in the last few months. Um, but they don't completely understand every aspect of it, which is what makes it so dangerous and part of what makes it so frightening. What I appreciated about this in the context of what we're experiencing right now is we don't know why she got infected by kill Mm -hmm. and he didn't. We don't know. And there is a certain specificity, a uniqueness to the person that is at play that the first time through I kind of saw as a cop-out. Well, why can he? Because in most zombie films, nobody's immune. Nobody's right. immune to the zombie and There aren't outbreak. degrees of immunity. Exactly. Or, yeah. Yes, precisely. But this I found significantly more interesting in that that also, if memory serves, was not the first time she had said the word kill in the film. Mm-hmm. That earlier in the film, she had used that supposedly infected word, but this time it caught her. And what I viewed in my, and again, Nathan, I want you to, I'm inviting you in a second to speak to this. What I viewed the first time through as a confusion about the rules, I now viewed, again, probably persuaded by current global events, Mm -hmm. I now viewed as a very specific train of viral integration, but in this weird sort of concept. So I I hope that makes sense. Yes. And I think... And and again, I'm not even knocking the film. It was partly my comprehension by the end of it. But like when I queued up the movie with no foreknowledge, mm-hmm. you're presented with this, you know, kind of workplace horror conceit that then, in other words, there was one moment that I loved, loved where at about 30 minutes in, Sydney kind of intimates what if they're being played? So that was a mm, real mm, narrative pivot. Mm. And I was like, 
Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I'm so stressed out. And so, <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not saying you can't turn the, the rules, right? Like, okay. Yeah. I was, course, I was understanding course. one thing now. Oh my God. What if, what if none of this is happening? And so by the end, those rules come real quick. And mm. yeah. Right. right and right. I'm like, I, I understand it's linguistically caught and conveyed. I, yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. it's, it's, it's English. That word is, is, but it's not, you know, so, so yeah, again, it's not really a knock as much as just, you made the phrase a minute ago, high minded. It's a very high concept that, yes, sure. That in about five minutes unpacks a lot, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, that, that just doesn't, it, it just doesn't register as well on a first viewing as, yeah, a, as no, I imagine it would. Um, I do want to throw out real quick because I want us to, you know, if we're if we're drifting out towards theme, that's totally fine. But I did want to, um, just because moments like this really kind of kind of scream out at me in film sometimes, but you don't get them that often. But Stephen McCaddy is great in this yeah. role. Oh my gosh! And there's He's a wonderful. scene that, you know, again, I'm 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 bought in within five minutes. I'm like, okay, I really like Ooh. the tone. I like the kind of just energy um is this serious is it is he meant to be comedic okay they've got an interesting interplay so i'm really buying in on all of the the kind of puzzle pieces and he's got such a great persona uh as a performer and as the performer playing a a shock jock but there's Mm -hmm. this moment where ken lonnie who in the film if you don't watch it listener is there we reference kind of eye in the sky this helicopter traffic cam guy who starts calling in describing wild things and y'all have seen it more than once now so hopefully you remember this moment there's this moment where where glenn right grant 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 um, where and 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 he's been drinking already but Mm -hmm. there's this moment where the camera he's just like full view in the studio it's not even a medium shot it's a real close on him behind the mic and stuff where he's just leaning back in his chair, hearing Ken describe this and staring at his hand. Does this scene ring out at all? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And oh, I was yeah. like, oh, my gosh, that's so good. Because you can, it does so much to, like, convey yeah. this character's confusion and bafflement and incredulity. Is like, or, and also, like, well, wait a minute. Am I drunk? You know what I mean? Like, this, <laughs> sure. there's so oh, much yeah. happening sure. in that moment. I just I really wanted to kind of sing the praises of that moment. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Blake, I feel like Nathan and I have kind of volleyed for quite a bit. Um, but, uh, what, what, how do you process you? And, and by the way, uh, listeners seek out the mockingbird piece written by our very own Blake Collier, um, about Pontypool and, and, and about this experience. It's well worth your time, but, uh, unpack a little bit about your thoughts and feelings, share thoughts from the article, your own thoughts, new thoughts, whatever, uh, about this film. So, yeah, I, uh, this is this is this is not going to necessarily uh, be a key to people's understanding of the film because I I think it it rails against completely being understood. Um, but understandably, <laughs> yeah, understandably, yeah. Um, but the I think the only reason why I'm able to like grasp elements of it more than than maybe some is is because I for whatever reason around the same time I watched this film I I read the full oeuvre of walker percy and walker uh, percy yeah. mm-hmm. his nonfiction work is inundated with this fascination this obsession really uh with language and what that means yeah. and mm-hmm. 
And there's a there's a thing that I I, I, I allude to in in my piece uh, that he this moment in Helen Keller's life uh, that is he just zeroes in on and it comes back in his writings over and over again and it's it's the moment where she finally understands meaning mm-hmm. and her, mm-hmm. her her teacher her teacher is trying to find a way to make to to connect a word with what it means and there's yeah. this moment where she writes in in, in her uh, uh, autobiography that her teacher places her hand one hand under a running stream of water and then signs in the palm of her other hand water and in that moment, like the whole world was unlocked to her. Yeah, yeah. This, 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 this world of of language, this world of meaning, was opened up to her, and she understood. It, yeah. It's and mm. and in my head when I when I read that, and I think Walker Percy had this in mind too, is that this is this is the creation story. Mm. We we understand. Mm. We we are given language, and with the language we are able to to connect with each other yeah and that's certainly. and that's why you know the the two precepts are are love god and love one another um, right yeah it's because we can we have the we have the tools now we we and, can speak and we can connect and and i think what's so beautiful about that is because you can go down the the, the rabbit hole with what that means because water specifically for helen keller was a significant word yeah. In that moment, yeah. mm-hmm. for that specific reason, it's not necessarily the specific word for another person. Sure, it's, it, it's sure. not. It's not even even if she heard water in another context, it would not have the same meaning as water in that moment. And so, yeah. when I'm thinking about movie and, and the Pontypool and, and these seemingly shifting rules of how this virus works, for, for me, like I can I can almost say, well, she says kill at one point, but it doesn't mean the same thing. It's not the infected meaning. Right. Uh, yes. It's, it's it's when she hits upon the infected meaning of that word mm. when it becomes real that yes. that it that it begins to to repeat itself and and then like Grant it, like Grant he he says it but that word doesn't have the same meaning to him in that right. moment as it right. does for her. He's and not so, thinking about it in the same yeah, context. Not, and right. so like right. there's there's a lot of ways that you can kind of take this and and just the complexity of what linguistics does and language mm-hmm. and and how meaning can I mean we all we're we've all been married. Yes. How many times mm-hmm. have you talked past each other? And oh. you're basically saying the same thing. Yeah. But you've talked past each other and and it's because you're thinking about two different meanings in the same the same yes. time and you're, you're you're moving past each other and really it just takes one one reconnection to bring those meanings together and it doesn't always happen um but yeah. it's it's how how often we talk past each other and how often we we yeah that that breakdown of communication happens uh and that's that's kind of the point i that's the big like takeaway i get from Pool a lot of times especially in this current climate is how often our language breaks down for us, uh, yes. whether it's intentional or not. Um, yeah, and because just the, the repetition, like yeah, the, yeah. The, the repeating the word once it's been infected, we keep saying it, we keep saying it, we keep saying it, it becomes an mm-hmm. echo chamber in its own way, and it's just there's so it's so prescient this movie. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so. And and I mean, gosh, like I want to, I want to verbalize out like six things at the yeah. sa- at the same time yep. you like you mentioned 
this complexity of talking past each other. Like, one of my most frustrating moments are the moments when I get stuck inside my own head when I'm having a complex conversation with, like, my wife or with a dear friend or something like that, Mm -hmm. and I get stuck inside my own head to the degree that somebody can speak uh, a plain thing to me. They can say a very, to, to, to the naked ear, would be easily understood. But for some reason, in my mind, because of where my head is at, it has become a spider web of all these, well... Did you mean this by implication? Did you mean this? Do you really want me to do this? Are you? Are you what are you not saying? Yeah. And all these other, all these other mm-hmm. sort of complexities. When, if I were able to just simply take a a pause and a step back, I would recognize like, oh, that was that was actually quite simple. It did not <laughs> yeah. need yeah. to be as complicated as as I made it. And so, so that's a factor. The other thing, oh my gosh, I just I, I want to spit this out so that I don't lose it. And Nathan, I'm not trying to exclude you from the conversation. I just got a, I just got a lot going on in my head. So the other thing is, you, you mentioned that you know when she grasps hold of of kill and and how it means something different to her. Like that really stuck out to me this time. Not her specific, but when the doctor is explaining that it is understanding which causes the virus to take hold. It is understanding the meaning of the word. And then I started thinking about how innocent it is if a toddler or a, a, an adolescent says a word that's very volcanic and has mm-hmm. tremendous uh, significance to it, but they, they don't know that. They don't, don't understand. That. Yeah. They don't know that. It's mimicking. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. so to them, it is merely repetition. That's all it is. Yeah. But... This statement just knocked, almost knocked me over. Emotionally, it literally knocked me over. <laughs> but, like, then they catch the infected meaning. Yeah. Then they catch, you know, uh, uh, racist phrases, misogynistic mm-hmm. phrases, sexist phrases, yeah. things that, like, then, then they've caught the infected meaning. And now once the infected meaning has taken hold, now it is so much harder to break free from yeah. that association. Yeah. And if they've caught, God forbid, the infected meaning while somehow simultaneously not realizing they're infected, and then it continues to proceed out that way. And what, and what makes so much of the final moments of the film so galvanizing is he's making an active effort to try to get people to misunderstand. Yeah, like, he's, I he's need destroying you. meaning. Yes, I need you to break your understanding of this word because these words are infected and they are, and, and, you know, then, and my last statement, and then I'm going to pause for a moment, like, then it ties to something else. And I'm, I'm only hitting these thoughts and running. We can certainly unpack any or all of them or leave them where they are on the table. But then it connects to so much in the scriptures is tied to language and is tied to, uh, you know, people's names are meant to invoke destiny and meant to invoke purpose or meant to, to be an identifier of, of tremendous significance. But the Gospel of John opens up with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And later on in the chapter says, and then, you know, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And yes, it's speaking about Christ. The chapter itself is even talking about that. But the fact that it identifies it as Word, a, a, a Word, a communication method, and not only something to be spoken and heard, because again, in, in Pontypool, it's not just the hearing 
that does it. It's the grasping, the understanding, the capturing the meaning of what it is that causes this change in who you are. And in the Pontypool, that's a negative, but there's so many places for our imaginations to go about catching the the power or the significance of a word, either an infectious one driving you downward, or I would posit the potential for a liberating one driving you upward. Anyway, like great. <laughs> well, let me so much going let me on. Jump in there. You sure, know, sure. If I had any concern about this conversation, it was that it would be filled with words, and we would struggle <laughs> to attach yeah, meaning yeah. and comprehension to them. And I, I actually don't sure. say that lightly. Um, yeah, you know this book. This I'm sorry. This movie drove me back to the book I read a couple months ago, and I referenced on the show called "Antisocial" by the journalist mm-hmm. Andrew Morantz. Right, right. Um, yeah. And and I went and browsed my notes from that book, and want to share a few quick quotes. One to guide us and read. You just actually almost paraphrase it is. He said, to change how we talk is to change who we are. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this whole book is basically about what happens when you, the image that's coming to mind is like Plato, the old Plato that you squish through the thing and it makes spaghetti. What, ha- you know, what I'm talking about that image of the sure. Plato oh, yeah. commercials. Right, right. What happens yes, when yeah. you take a, a civilization's vocabulary that is the Plato and run it through the grist mill? of mm. the internet like that is effectively what he's after and and makes a very cogent case that mm-hmm. we have eroded and degraded to a point of incomprehension because it is worth noting read to your note about what grant does at the end of the film where he's trying to chaotically dissociate meaning yeah the the, the bombs still fall like they that does not succeed right Right. In the context of I, I think we're meant to to believe that he fails in his attempt at least to save their own life, although the verbalizations over the top of the uh, credits might lead you to, to interpret it in a variety of different ways. But no, I right. think in the context of the court, yeah, because the the there is audio over the entirety of the credits yes. and and they address in in passing glances like yeah i was so confused and then everything just became clear and and so they talk about people like coming out of the virus as well well i don't know if that was directly related to grant in the in the context mm -hmm. of the film well and but but you you're making a good point here uh for me a little bit and that's that he so disrupts it and and another quote from the book it says at some point the broken american vocabulary will be replaced by a new one but whatever comes next will bear the scars of the current disruption. Wow. And yeah. one one last quote here, and then we can try to weave all of this into something cohesive. And this is not a person writing from a faith perspective. Like so, so understand that, listener, like oh, a Christian journalist. That's not where this is coming from. But one of the things he says, and rather forcefully, he says, "What we need and urgently is a new moral vocabulary." Mm. and you know reed you reference the john scripture a moment ago of the word became flesh and i think in the context of this movie we mutilated that as well like yeah yeah and we are so blithe and careless with words and you know so there's 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 angles you can approach here there's you know 
Blake, which I hadn't thought about until you brought it up, but there's the degradation of communication, which is itself yes, yeah. an, an echo of what's happening in this film. Mm-hmm. Then, And that's a um, neurological thing, right? Like this is a, a medical sort of neurological breakdown mm-hmm. in the ability to communicate. Um, then there's also what I think this book, Antisocial, is after the willful, intentional, violent clobbering of vocabulary mm. and, and degrading yeah. communication until all we're left with is pointing fingers and, and grunts and anger and, and, mm. and violence. Right. You know, yeah. um, I don't know. I, I just think there's a lot, there's, there's, there's kind of too much to wrangle here. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the director had even said you talk about the degradation to violence and the I didn't want to read this entire quote. I'll try to summarize it briefly. But the director had gone on record to say, like, kind of how the virus works. And he says, you know, it starts with just a a vain sort of repetition, trying to just like get it out. And then you get confused in your own thoughts. And eventually the infection takes hold to the degree that all you can see as an infected person as your only option is to like chew or rip the words yes, out of the I other person's mouth. Ugh. And yeah. right, which is gruesome. It's so gruesome, you know, yeah. to think about. But then I even think, even when I just sat there and said it, oh my Lord, there is almost too much. There is too much to <laughs> wrangle down for this thing. Because then I think about like our, ex- we're talking about cultural expressions and social expressions. We've touched on marriage and relational expressions. Then there's also, um, I didn't mean to use the word, but when I invoke the word like vain repetition, that brings in mind that brings to mind the type of prayer that Christ urged us not to pray, like not to simply repeat words meaninglessly. Don't just don't just sit there and think you can uh, use some kind of chant and as if that's going to be a substantive prayer. Like there has to be a combination of the the communication itself. And then a a grasping hold of what it is that you are communicating, that you like the the meaning behind what it is that you're saying. And I feel like so much of what I see in our speech and in our discourse, of course, I'm once again beating up on social media platforms at the moment because of the ways that they degrade discourse and they make it about sound bites that feel clever in the moment but so distort the point and so miss the much more complex much more human like i i see in far too many contexts to even try to rattle off a list i see far too many examples where somebody makes some egregious comparison of saying like oh so you're okay with this but you're not okay with this and the issues are so far there's such a huge canyon but you're minimizing and reducing the conversation to this really weird uh sort of like oh yeah well if life is precious here then it needs to be precious over here too as well and i'm like yeah it needs it needs to be precious everywhere i don't know what point you think you're trying to make like i don't understand i don't understand why you think you're you're getting anywhere by simply reducing the conversation to some weird mic drop soundbite you're trying to express that has no root in human complexity, human understanding. It, it's just sound and fury. That's all it is. It's just 
this, but but in the context of this film, and then I'll shut up, is it is spreading a an infected sense of conversation. It's it's spreading the method of communication that reduces enlightenment, that reduces humanity, that reduces understanding and compassion, and simply cares about silencing the opposition, simply cares about quieting anybody who would agree with you, and frankly, most of them, to try to make them feel stupid, which is offensive to me. Like, why are you going to try to make any point and try to persuade somebody over to your side by making them feel stupid. I don't. I don't get that. Why would you try to do that? Well, and um, yeah. And once you get once you get to that point, I because because I think you could say that there there's a there's been a language problem since day one in in America. Like there have been words that have been slowly breaking down. It's only until the internet happened that it's kind of just had this steep steep like lift right up. an exponential curve, ampl- yeah, yeah yeah exactly and so but but i think we're starting to see what happens in the aftermath because i think it's already happened on some level is if words no longer have meaning then all we have is groundless disconnected perspective mm, yeah yeah and and there's like when i when i try to talk to someone who is on the other side of the political fence for me Mm-hmm. we don't have any words to connect on mm, because yeah, yeah. words, the word I say means something different to them. Right. And so, right. yeah. And so whenever those, those common meanings, those, those, those connected meanings, whenever those are gone, and I think they've been gone for a few years now. Yeah. Um, we we're lost. We, there, yeah. there, there is no hope for a, a break from this polarity that we're we're feeling yeah. in the in the political and cultural spheres because of and it's it's a downer like i, I don't i don't yeah, of course i don't take pride in in diagnosing it as such but <laughs> but it, i yeah. feel it like in my everyday life like seeing on twitter or on facebook or in the news or whatever like words do not mean anything that connects us. <laughs> well, but I think, but I think, so, you know, I'm, I'm just sitting here absorbing all this. Yeah, that's way too yeah. much, but yeah, um, <laughs> right. That's, that's not a knock against any of us. It's just yeah. trying to wrestle this down. But, you know, I think, I think, uh, that quote read that you expounded upon from the writer, I believe about it degrades so far to just violence and, and not mm-hmm. just yeah. violence that we're sort of accustomed to of, or threats of violence we're accustomed to, but so graphic and and discomforting violence to to how did you even say it? How did he say it? That you, you Yeah, that you try to chew the words oh, out of God. the other person's mouth. Yeah. Well mm-hmm. and, and yeah. I think, you know, I um I think we're there, like like in terms of intent, you know, like mm-hmm. not necessarily yeah, physical. Of course. Um yeah. but Blake, to your point about that feeds into just that political discourse. And, and I do think there's a moment where you have to, um, because our words and, and Blake, you made the comment of, of other side of the aisle type stuff. Like one, you've got political conversation and then you've got social media. Those are two different things. Yeah. But when you marry those yeah. things, right. It's right. It, yes. Our, our words, hell. our words now <laughs> literally mean nothing. And, and so yeah. for me personally, I have 
backpedaled a whole lot from the thing, you know, once you, once I sort of comprehended, okay, okay, this is what social media as a construct is doing. And that's terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so right, I backed right. off a whole lot because once you started realizing is it's like, uh, I'm not going to change your mind. You're not going to change my mind, which ultimately that means we're not listening to each other. Our words are, are falling to the ground um, or just getting evaporated into the air. Like it, it means nothing. Mm. And, and I want to circle back around to this notion of the word becoming flesh. And I mm. think, and I'm not pivoting to Jesus is our answer, but I am pivoting to the word becoming flesh is our answer. And I mean, those as both the same and separate. So I just today, uh, I had to run a couple errands. I got to leave the house for a moment and started and got 20 minutes into, I'm looking at it right now, 26 minutes into, uh, a recent, why is this happening podcast with Chris Hayes? And, and he had a guest on there. I'd never heard of this person, but the, um, the title attracted me. The title of the episode was called solitary. I'm sorry, solidarity in a disaster. And I didn't know this would connect to this tonight, but the guest he has on there is a woman named Rebecca Solnit, who is a writer who wrote a book around the time. uh, I believe she's a journalist as well, but wrote a book around the time of Katrina had been Mm -hmm. doing a lot of research on, I didn't know anything about this, this major earthquake in San Francisco from years ago, but her book is called a paradise built in hell. Ooh. Yeah. And she talks about how in times of chaos and disaster, we want to believe it's this broken thing and people aren't connected and people are, you know, relational degradation is taking hold. But what she kind of posits in this book is that it's actually through her study of things like this earthquake in San Francisco, of things like, um, Katrina and now of course this book is climbing the charts again because of the moment we're in she says it is these acts of generosity it is these family meals it is these moments of grace that break through the the hell to find paradise Mm -hmm. and and, and where the only reason I bring that up right now is just to to say I think words are both literal and verbal Mm -hmm. and words are also Mm -hmm. actionable in flesh Yes. And, and I yeah. think, Reed, you were trying to make this point about 45 minutes ago, but all of us got tsunamied here by all that's going on. <laughs> yeah. and, but, but how, you know, to, to that antisocial reference of what we need is a, a new moral vocabulary. And what does that mean? And what does that look like? And, and Solnit, this author of A Paradise Built in Hell, tells this story of watching news footage of Katrina and a... Uh, a newscaster is in a store and there's a little African-American boy behind her uh, behind him. I think the the journalist, the newscaster who is what appears to be pilfering a pink t-shirt and she, and the newscaster on live TV says something like, not your color. doesn't look like that's your color and is real dismissive and, and condescending. And she, and listen, y'all she's not speaking as this person of faith, which, which, think a lot of people of faith don't have a good moral vocabulary but where she's where she's trying to posit pivot this to is like you have no idea what this child might be going through yeah and on national television have just reduced as the phrase you used read human complexity down Mm -hmm. to a derogatory 
verbally violent soundbite. Yeah. And, right. and I think, what does it mean and what do we have to do? And, and, you know, one, I do think it calls for a hell of a lot of self reflection, um, and self excavation to answer this question. But like, what does it mean to have a better moral vocabulary? I'm going to, I'll, I'll say this last quote and then move on to you guys and, and kind of be done, yeah. I guess. But sure. Um, sure. Uh, another quote from Marantz is he basically says, there is a narrative. Like you don't get to just ignore that a narrative can exist in the world and especially in American society. And he says, the point isn't don't have a narrative. The point is what kind of narrative are you going to be a part of and choose? Wow. And it's just really powerful. Yeah. yeah. And, and what is a narrative, a narrative in our common comprehension is a, a written, a, a, a verbalized thing, right? A story being told and you either yeah. are actively shattering a narrative or you're creating and building one right mm-hmm. yeah 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 uh yeah i mean this and oh gosh there's so much i'm <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna blast my final shot across the bow um pivoting kind of out of what you're you're talking about here i i did find his grant's kind of final parting shot so in the course of the film it all comes to light in the space of about the last 20 minutes that they realize how the infection is being spread, how the, uh, and then in the last like 10 minutes, he realizes how to stop the infection is by introducing a confused misunderstanding to break the grasped infected misunderstanding. And then he goes onto the radio and he's rapidly trying to just spit out a bunch of nonsense. And he's even... I, I kind of love that he's failing at spewing out nonsense. Like he's making too much sense <laughs> yeah. because he's trying to just sort of oppose meaning, but he's making too much sense in it. It's it's not nonsense, you know. But then finally, in this very sort of uh, rebellious spirit, he just bursts out and finally is just like, well, you know what, friends? We were never making sense. And I remember when he finally gave that whole big speech, I don't, I don't have the whole thing in front of me, but he, he gives this whole big spiel where he says, we were never making sense and we're doing all of the same things that we were doing before. And he ends uh, basically by saying, uh, it's not the end of the world, folks. It's just the end of the day. And to your point, Nathan, of what you talked about, you, each day we are participating in a narrative we're we're building one and to a degree have to take and i don't know that this is fully the point that the passage from antisocial was making but that we are to a degree culpable in the the narrative we're choosing to perpetuate mm-hmm. we are we are culpable for what we're choosing to foster what we're choosing to put out into the world and and we are responsible for it to a degree. There are things that we cannot control and cannot hold, but I love that he just sort of towards the end in this film is just like, no, you know what? We were, we were never making sense. Like this, this is not the end of the world. It's just the end of the day. And there are stories and words and meaning swirling all over and all around us and uh, I think it's really, like we've all said multiple times, it's almost too much to wrangle down everything 
this particular film, now 12 years old, has to say to 2020 in the midst of not only viral concerns, but language concerns and meaning and understanding concerns. Uh, it's, it's a very affecting, very affecting moment. Uh, before we pivot to the fog meter, Blake, do you have any other passing thoughts, parting observations, anything else you'd like to share? Uh, no, I, I think on the whole, I, I would largely like to leave it where we left it. I, I do want to point out one thing, and sure, we've sure. we've said it numerous times already, but but I just want to point out that when it, whenever uh, they're Sydney and, and Grant are talking to each other and they're figuring out what's going on, the two words that are central to it are, are kiss and kill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And if right, you think about the nature of those two words, one is love, and the other one is hate or violence violence right? and 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 he keeps trying to confuse the meanings of those mm. and man i tell you what how many times have we confused the meanings of those two things good lord <laughs> like, come on now yeah <laughs> so, yeah absolutely i just want to point that out because small oh, and it's it's right there in front of you but but you know it it, it took me several viewings to get to recognize that really so. grasp that yeah um a, a remarkable film in a number yeah. of ways. Um, I think that goes without saying, regardless of how viewers may particularly feel about it. It's your third favorite horror film. Clearly, like, I love that it made it so high in the yeah. list. Um, I love that it's been seen by that many people and that many people paid attention and that it stayed with them. Um, I'm hoping, uh, unlike as we, you know, have uh, referenced previously how Paranormal Activity has climbed our listening charts and uh, your episode that you were on, Blake, saw is is, is up there as well. I hope uh, Pontypool is is a film that hits people's radar if they haven't already seen it because it's uh it's pretty amazing but let me not tilt my hand too much before we go to the fog meter nathan you too want to late. explain let's let's hope it's the shaggy dog of uh Free god podcast right? <laughs> exactly, exactly nathan why don't you explain the fog meter to our listeners please Ooh, if i can inject some meaning into these words um <laughs> the fog meter it is the metric we use on every film to assess its fear factor or how scary a thing is and its god factor or how, or how substantive a thing is um i will start as it was my first viewing on the fear um i mean uh, this movie isn't uh there's one kind of scene of some relative kind of gore uh or you know just kind of harrowing visuals um otherwise it's pretty mild in terms of the visual element Mm -hmm. but I mean, for the pure stress factor that I experienced, um, as far as the suspense and thriller goes, I mean, I'm not hyperbolically saying I was worried about going to bed uh, at a certain (laughs) point. So, I mean, nine? This movie's, I mean, at least for the two thirds of it, I was. It's stressful. It was just one long visit to Pookla. Absolutely. Uh, Blake, what would you give it for the fear factor? I think I'm gonna double that. Uh, I'm gonna say it's nine uh, okay. because because even even at the time when I first watched, I thought it, you were about to give it an eighteen. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, don't, yeah, no. <laughs> um, even the first time I watched it, I I mean the one the one moment of gore that you that you spoke of is because everything else is so tame. It is it stands out significantly, um, mm-hmm. and it's 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 a little bit unexpected in the moment. You 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 yeah. think something's coming, but you don't know what. Mm-hmm. And when it happens, you're like, "Oh, whoa!" Yeah, <laughs> but you're, yeah, you are exactly right. The tension is is just unbearable. 
especially in the first viewing. Uh, once you kind of got the, the, the grasp of the narrative itself or the, like the, the basically the, the run of the movie, re- repeat viewings are, are less tense, but man, it still, it still holds up even, even now. So. Yeah, no, remarkably so. Um, for myself, what, what I think dilutes the fear element for me, uh, particularly on the second viewing was simply, being so drawn in by the concepts and so yeah. fascinated by the concepts. So I found myself thinking more about what was happening mm-hmm. than emotionally sure. experiencing it. But even with that, I would still give this a seven on the fear yeah. factor. I mean, it's it, it, everything you're saying is accurate. It's a very stressful film, uh, inventive in the way it navigates uh, its fears. Um, for myself, on the substance meter... I'm not going to pull any punches or give too many qualifiers. Guys, this is a 10 for me on the, on the substance. I mean, it has so much on its mind and in ways that I found unbelievably resonant to what we're experiencing right now, what I think about and experience so many times in my life. It's a, it's a big, big 10 uh, for me. Blake, what would you say? Oh, easily 10. Uh, I've gotten more out of this film than just about any other horror film as far as content and ideas. And, and it's, I mean, it's helped me through the grief of my dad's disease. <laughs> I mean, right. so oh, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, yeah it's, no, seriously. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it, it's a, it's a hard 10. Yeah. Understood. Nathan, what say you? Um, I think I, I tend to attach substance to also just an emotion, an emotional response to, I don't quite have that at the moment. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. but I do agree just sort of, philosophically and and you know and and other sort of intellectual ways it's got a lot happening in it and so um i'm gonna go with an eight and a half eight and a half so uh, the official fog meter reading is at a nine wow oh (laughs) i never when you told me the name of this movie, I was like, what the hell is this? Ponty pool. What kind of word is that? That don't mean nothing. That's oh got to be gosh. a typo. I never. I mean, it <laughs> well, is a typo. <laughs> all I did was be like, okay, it's like nine o'clock. Oh, I was 80 minutes. That's not too bad. I'll turn this on 20 minutes later. Like, oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so scared. Yeah. Well, I, so, I, I'm so not Nate, delighted that, 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 that it, it wound you up like that, but I'm kind of delighted that it wound you up like <laughs> No, I am too. That's fun. No, I can get a kick out of it. So, uh, Nathan, does that mean that you would recommend Pontypool to people? Yes, un- unquestionably. I mean, I think, and, you know, I think there's like destructive, nihilistic kind of scare factor that would be hard to recommend. This isn't really that. Understood. It's more yeah, just like right. really well crafted, uh, sure. um, yeah. you know, thriller, suspense type of filmmaking. Yeah, absolutely. Blake, I think we all know your answer, but yeah. do us the do us the favor anyway. Oh yeah, I I highly recommend it. And if you actually want to get a sense of what it's like to be one of the characters infected in the movie, try to read the novel it's based on. No, oh, wow. wow. That's, <laughs> I think you've dissuaded me against that. That would be <laughs> so 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 I I've actually read some of his other work and he's he's a fascinating writer and I I highly I recommend bet. reading some of his other work. Pool changes everything is is a tough it's a tough go. <laughs> tough one. Uh, understood. Understood. Um, I, especially after the second viewing, I champion this film. This film deserves to be seen. It is so wildly inventive did you, and unique. Did you hold back on your enthusiasm? I don't. I just don't recall you really <laughs> pushing hard. Yeah, because oh, no, no, here's no, that's the thing, totally man. fine. I just. I just. Yeah. 
that's why I went into it so kind of like ho hum. You know, I was like, oh well, this is it. I, I don't remember <laughs> well, you pushing hard. I'm I'm grateful. That's not you, me criticizing. No, no, sure, sure, I understand. But like, like I have sometimes been like, oh my god, I love this film. You gotta see this film. And you come back and you'd be like, that was good. I like it. You know, like and and so like for me and and also in fairness, like. My first time viewing, I don't think I fully wrapped my head around it, and I remember <laughs> being really interested in it, but not nearly the experience. I mean, and I've said it in every episode that we've had on 2020-2020, that it is inescapable for me. Uh, I, I cannot deny that I am viewing these films in light of cultural events. Sure. And I'm yeah, viewing yeah. them in light of what's happening right now, and I think that fueled so much of my response to this movie to the degree that I'm like, oh my God, like I needed this movie right now. Yeah. Like I like this this is something that's really interesting and and really just helped me to, again, as metaphors and films and stories so effectively do sometimes, really contextualize a lot of the struggle that's happening and a lot of the difficulty that's happening in a way that I found really, really affecting. And so and but so also there was I had not seen it this second time when I was really pushing for it. I just remembered really liking it, being very interested by it, knowing its subject. I was like, this could make for a really interesting conversation. So, sure. so, yeah, so yeah. to that degree, I didn't want to chime in and be like, oh my, but it would also be fair to say that my enthusiasm beforehand existed, but was not near what it is right now. Well, and to be, to be fair to time. you, Reed, I, I'm a human who just doesn't know what he wants anyway. So like if you'd hyped it, <laughs> if you'd hyped it to me, I would have been like, oh, interesting. Uh, you, you play it cool to me. I'm lo- I'm 30 minutes. I'm like, what didn't read warn me? You know, like, no, I get it. I get it. <laughs> it's tough being my friend. And I'm sorry for that. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny. But yes, I would, I would champion people seeing this movie. And I've said it once already, but uh, definitely uh, once you've seen the film or, or maybe even to sort of fuel seeing the film, check out Blake's piece over at Mockingbird, uh, where he unpacks a lot of these same thoughts, uh, some of which he shared here, but much more there on that article. Um, and uh, thank you very, very much, Blake, for yes. joining us Thanks for, for this conversation. It's been a real honor to have you back, as always. Um, so next week, everybody, we're doing something pretty special. This phase has come to an end. We will be revisiting it later in the year, and we'll let you know when that's happening. But next week, we are going back to old Uncle Stevie, and we are going into our next quarterly king every 25 episodes or so we have a big conversation <laughs> with an important uh, phrase <laughs> or, so, or so exactly <laughs> um we have a big conversation with some of our friends uh about a work of stephen king so next week we are going to be talking about the very recent mike flanagan adapted and uh directed dr sleep um which is the sequel to The Shining. Uh, it is based on Stephen King's novel, uh, sequel to The Shining, but Flanagan has done some really interesting things to both adapt King's novel and follow up Stanley Kubrick's The Shining uh, in some really inventive ways. If you have been meaning to check it out and need that extra push, do so now. Next week, we're going to have all of our friends back again for another conversation about Dr. To, Sleep. Can I throw out there, read to to the listeners, yeah. uh, we specifically zero in on the director's cut of Dr. Yes. Sleep, uh, which is yes. available in the physical copy. So if you've got a red box near you, uh, that's how you can access that. Um, but yeah. 
Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, check out that, and we'll see you next week for that. Blake, again, thank you for being here. Nathan, thank you, you, as always, for having this conversation with me every week. Um, And listeners, as we say every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. Don't mistake my meaning there. Not the end of the conversation. Uh, And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. Thank you all very much, and we'll see you next week. See you next week, guys. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest news and episodes, or for merchandise and to contact us directly. You can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God, on Instagram at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork to Lee Wright, who helped me, Reed Lackey, write our theme music, and to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.